Welcome back to the Farmland Riches Podcast, where we sit down with leading minds in the agricultural investing space to discuss upcoming trends and developments impacting the industry. In this episode, we're joined by Chris Rowley, the founder and CEO of Harvest Returns. Harvest Returns is the internet's one-stop shop for investing in agriculture. Through the platform, you're able to grow your wealth by investing in income-producing farms with as little as a few thousand dollars. This provides a much more accessible way for most to get access to investing in agriculture. Now, in the episode, we'll be diving into exactly what investing in agriculture actually means and how that differs from investing in farmland, the pros and cons between the two, and how to determine which one might make more sense for you. We'll also discuss some of the upcoming trends that Chris sees impacting the agricultural space and how you as an investor can adapt to those and use them to your advantage. So now let's hop into the conversation. All right, Chris, welcome to the Farmland Riches podcast. Really appreciate you taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. So for the listeners that aren't familiar with who you are and what you're working on over at Harvest Returns, could you give them a quick kind of 60 to 90 second elevator pitch as to what you currently got going on? Sure. So I am Chris Raleigh. I am the CEO and founder of Harvest Returns. And we started this company in 2016 to make it easier for investors to diversify their portfolio with farmland. And agriculture investments in general. That's that's one of the things that, that makes us a little bit different than other agricultural offerings out there is that we do some unique things like indoor agriculture, controlled environment agriculture, and, and uh, other offerings involving livestock. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, I'm excited to dive into that even mm-hmm. deeper. But before we do, I'm curious, when did farmland first come on your radar as like an investable asset class? Because for a lot of people out there, they might not even realize that that obviously there are farmers that use farmland, but they don't necessarily mm-hmm. think, oh, I can actually invest in, in agricultural businesses or farmland or anything like that. So when did that first kind of hit your radar? So I've been a, an investor for, for quite some time. And um after the, the sort of economic downturn in 2008 that really impacted the real estate market, I started looking at alternatives to uh, kind of your typical commercial real estate. And one of the things that crossed my radar was, was farming and farmland. And that was about 2013, 2014, and started looking at different ways to invest. And at the time, there, there were not a whole lot of uh, mechanisms to invest. And, and that's changed now. And we're, you know, we're happy to be a part of that that uh, disruption to the to the investing environment. So you know, 2013, 2014 or so. Okay. And so from from going from that realization of, oh, like farmland is actually a, a good way to kind of diversify my portfolio. Mm-hmm. How did you go from that to actually building out this entire platform to help like other people do that too? Yeah. So um, it, around that time, uh, you know, something something changed pretty dramatically in the world of investment. And that was the crowdfunding regulations started to change at the same time, technology and, and the internet, um, people were more comfortable investing in, in, in the internet and a number of real estate crowdfunding platforms started to emerge around 2014, 15, 16. And we decided, had the idea of, well, let's, let's give this a, a go with farming. And so, um, 2016, we sort of started the company. 2017, we're putting together our technology and and finding out what we knew and didn't know about farm farming and farmland investing. And then uh, by by 2017, 2018, we'd launched our first sort of pilot offerings, and we've been growing ever since. Awesome. And so, give us an idea of kind of what that growth has looked like. I mean, in terms of the number of people on the team, or the the amount of money you've raised, or the mm-hmm. 
videos you've done, like how do you kind of measure your growth and like where do you guys kind of reach at this point? So our, our, our kind of two primary metrics are how many farms or farming projects have we funded? And I think we're up to 23, 24 now. Uh, the amount of money that we, we've raised in total is about 13 million. And um, every time we do a new offering, it gets considerable interest from investors. And now our investor uh, base is growing. We've got over 7,000 investors now. So um, excited that to see that growth, excited to see more people that are interested in investing in, in agriculture, because we think it's very important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it definitely powers like a lot of, of the world. So mm-hmm. I'm curious as well, diving into kind of that that distinction that you put between kind of the, the a lot of the other platforms are just kind of focused on farmland itself. But then you guys also kind of diversify into these other kind of agricultural um, kind of assets. So what does that kind of look like for you? And why did you decide to kind of go down like both of those routes? Yeah. Um, one, you know, it, we think it's important to differentiate our, ourselves among our, our competition and, and, you know, where, where there wasn't a lot of competition uh, on the retail side in this space five or 10 years ago, most of the investments were from institutions. So university endowments and pension funds haven't invested in farmland since probably, you know, seventies, eighties timeframe, but for, you know, unless you're, you're, Bill Gates, who's the largest farmland owner in the U.S. now, as, as most pe- people know by now, um, it's it's a lot harder to access. So, we have um, kind of broken into this niche because we're we're firm believers that um, you know all all farming is important, but we're seeing more and more that that um, people are interested in learning, knowing more about where their food comes from. And there's a strong consumer demand for locally produced foods. And the best way to produce that food locally and in many climates is to grow it indoors. So what we call a controlled environment agriculture that mitigates some of the concerns from weather and pest infestations and is a sustainable way to grow food, uses a lot less water than food grown agriculture uh, per acre per square foot, uh, you can have a much higher yield and you can have multiple crop cycles per year. So from an investor standpoint, that's interesting because the types of things we're growing is, is in indoors is leafy greens. Some cases um, you're seeing more and more, you know, small fruits like strawberries and things like that being grown indoors. But um, those crop cycles, if you, for whatever reason, if you lose a crop, you just, instead of an annual crop where you're putting all your, you know, risk uh, of losing your your investment in that year's crop uh, is mitigated because you've got you know five or six or more growing cycles per year instead of one or two, which is kind of typical for your outdoor um, ag. So indoor ag, that's one of the things that we like. It, there's some big, you know, in that space right now, there's some, some actual, some unicorn companies that have emerged that have been acquired by special purpose acquisition companies or SPACs. Um, Arrow Farms and App Harvest are two big names that have recently um, performed, but we're, we give our investors an opportunity to come in into that same space for a lot smaller investment, 10 or $20,000 versus some of these uh, venture capital firms that are investing millions or tens of millions of dollars in this, in the same type of agriculture. Same time, we really like grass-fed livestock. That's one of our, our niches that, that we've found a lot of success with. Uh, consumers are, are seeing, starting to see the health benefits of, of grass-fed, grass-finished livestock, including uh, cattle. And we, we've actually got a sheep offering right now that's, that's in that space. And uh, it's a, it, animal-based proteins have gotten a bad rap lately from um, some sectors because people... 
know, there's a certain um, group of folks that are saying, oh, that's bad for the environment. Most of those folks are have interest in plant-based protein, which is fine. You know, that's a growing segment and there's been a lot of investment capital into it, but we don't see the um, demand for animal-based protein diminishing it all whatsoever. In fact, that sector continues to grow, especially the, the specialized uh, form that we're doing where it's regenerative livestock, uh, grazing and, and humanely raised livestock and, and segments like that. So we like that space. We're, we're very bullish on it. Um, it. We found that it was fairly COVID proof because these uh, smaller process, smaller companies are using smaller processors that weren't impacted as much by COVID. And um, interesting thing now is, is grain prices continue to rise, um, you know, that commodity, which is good for those people that hold uh, the, the commodity-based uh, farmland, it's, it's making livestock prices rise. And um, we're in our grass-fed cattle segment, we're uh, unaffected by that because our cows are out there just eating grass, um, not having to pay those, those fees. So we, we, we're happy that we're in that segment. Huh. Very, very interesting. So how do you guys go about kind of sourcing deals and how do you go from, from having this idea of like, okay, we want to invest in, in some grass fed livestock to actually like putting a deal together, listing on the platform and like opening it to investors. What does that process look like? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So when we first started the company, we were, we were kind of afraid that we would not be able to find enough deal flow um, because there is a very robust ag finance system. Most of that ag finance system is, is geared towards conventionally based row crops, you know, which is the predominant form of agriculture in the United States. So uh, based on that, we, we thought, oh, we're going to have trouble. Well, that's one of the reasons we settled on these niches because that ag finance system, although it's great for, uh, you know, many times USDA subsidized loans or, or guaranteed loans, to those row crop farmers, primarily in the Midwest. Um, it's not a great system if you're doing something innovative, like if you're doing indoor agriculture. So once we kind of put our, hung our shingle up on the internet and, uh, you know, sort of advertising that we're looking for farmers, they started slowly coming and that trickle has become, you know, larger and larger every day where we get more and more, um, farmers that are interested, uh, they see our successful raises and they come to us. So especially the kind of segments that we settled on where we get a lot of indoor ag folks coming to us, a lot of grass fed livestock producers coming to us and then some more interesting niche specialty ags, which is kind of our third vertical. And most recently we started looking at some ag tech companies. And so these are the same kind of ag tech companies that might be getting, um, venture capital rounds, you know, late seed series a rounds, but they're coming to us at a very early stage. So we're excited about giving investors the opportunity to invest. Um, you know, these are obviously risky investments, these ag tech investments, because some of the companies are, are pre-revenue and things like that, but we, we found some success there and our investors have shown a, a high demand for getting in at the ground floor of these innovative ag companies. Hmm. Very interesting. So I guess like the typical, farmer that comes to harvest returns, what do they kind of look like? Is it like a small, like family farm or is it kind of like a larger operation or like who are the people that are typically raising on the platform? It, it, it's a range. So, you know, our most recent sheep offering is, is a very well-established company that has sales channels and, and brand name uh, companies like, like Whole Foods and, and uh, HEB Central Market, those, those sorts of places down to first time young farmer, um, growing a unique crop or a first time, you know, 
in some cases, we've got uh, multi-generational farmers that are uh, want to do something instead of, you know, doing what their father and grandfather did. They want to do indoor ag instead of growing, you know, corn. We have one of those, um, one of our indoor farmers, vertical farmers. So we've got, it's a wide variety. We, uh, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, our ideal sponsor it has a team that's a nice mix of um, both the agronomy side. So they know what they're doing. They know how to grow whatever crop they want to grow or have been growing um, and the business side, the business acumen. You don't see that the, those teams very often, which is why very few of the farmers that come to us actually get on a platform. Um, a lot of great people doing great things in ag, but to have that kind of right combination that appeals to investors is much harder to find. No, it makes a lot of sense. Now, from the investor's perspective, I mean, what do they kind of see on the Harvest Returns platform in terms of just like information on deals, how do they make their decisions and just mm -hmm. kind of like, what do you see from that perspective? So, you know, like a lot of sort of crowdfunding platforms, you, you go on our website and you register and you get an account, you'll see whatever offerings we have live and, and some of the past offerings. And, and you'll kind of see a general overview of, you know, what's the minimum investment? How much are they trying to raise? What's the projected returns? Um, you know, where's, where's the farm located, all that sort of stuff. And then when you dig deeper and start getting into the, the offering documents, which, you know, all of our, all of our, um, offerings are regulation D. So they have, you know, very long, uh, private placement memorandums, you know, that have lots and lots of risk and legal language in them that, that, you know, is kind of typical for these type of raises and they'll, they'll be able to read through those, but also see, you know, a more concise version of a, either a pitch deck or, you know, here's the details on, you know, the financial aspects of this offering, the market offering the risk. Um, here's the sponsor team. What are their biographies? What, what's their backgrounds? And then how is this farm going to make me money? And when, are, when should I expect my returns? And what's my exit strategy? So there, those are all kind of the components of an offering on the Harvest Returns website that, that we put together um, because we want our we want our investors one to understand what they're getting into, understand the risk, uh, fully disclose the risk, and we work with a lot of farmers. And if they're unable to kind of identify and and disclose the risk, then when we really don't want to work with them um, because that's it's critical that before you invest in anything, you understand. Oh yeah, I could lose all my money or or some portion of my principal, and um, you know, there's a lot of like any other investment. There's a lot of variables. There's there's weather. There's there's market conditions, commodity prices, all those sorts of things that that one could lose money on. But for the most part, um, you know, our investors come and they're interested in kind of the unique offerings that that we have, and they they like the, a big part of this is educating them on on how they're gonna how they're gonna make money. Yeah. So let's dive into both of those. I mean, first, mm -hmm. starting off with kind of like the risks. So like, what are some of the uh, unique risks to farmland that, that investors might not be familiar with if they've never gotten exposure into the asset class before. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of our investors are our current real estate investors or they're transitioning from real estate investors. Maybe they have a big portfolio and they want to diversify because the the market for uh, real estate is so high. So, um, you know, some of those risks, we, we have biological risk. You don't really have that in, in the real estate field. So there's, there's uh, rainfall when, when we're talking about outdoor crops, for sure. Um, weather events can, can, you know, something like a tornado or, or a hurricane, depending on where it's located, can wipe out if you're talking tree crops. Um, there's pests and infestations and disease, something that's, that's, you know, not typical to sort of real estate investments. And then there's there's commodity uh, based risk and and we try to you know one of the reasons we like kind of our our niches are are we're doing sort of premium products the the grass fed livestock is a premium product so it's not as impacted by commodity risk as as something like a uh, 
uh, row crop, conventional row crop might be same thing on indoor agriculture, because there, these, these companies are able to sort of modify what they're growing. The most of the systems they're using enable them to grow tomatoes or cucumbers or, or peppers or, or leafy greens. Uh, they can, they can change, uh, do some minor reconfiguration and change rapidly to meet uh, consumer demand. Hmm. Very interesting. So I guess on the kind of making money side for investors, where are kind of where the profits coming from for, for farmland investors? So primarily, um, you know, we, we, we do both equity and debt offerings. Uh, the, the debt is, is, is primarily on the, the grass fed livestock side, but for our equity offerings, uh, they're taking a, a share of the profit interest in the company. So uh, the company goes out, they sell their crops, uh, they make money, they grow. Uh, in some cases, they're doing value added things like taking, taking the livestock they grow and turning it into direct to consumer beef. Uh, products or value-added products like like beef bone broth is one of the companies that we work with is doing or even tamales the lamb company is making lamb tamales and selling them direct to consumer so that's they're just taking a share of the revenue and profits of the company uh, in the case of uh, the the debt offerings we're doing it's like any sort of typical debt structure where you they're we're collateralizing an asset and we're taking interest payments on that asset in, in this case we're collateralizing livestock so so I guess on the equity side of things, what's the typical percentage of the um, company is that, that they're kind of uh, raising from you guys? Yeah, it, it all depends. Um, we, you know, it's usually a range. When we work with a company, we'll say, okay, what's the minimum amount of money you need to expand your operation or, or, or start your operation in some cases to the maximum amount. And we'll, you know, usually hit somewhere in the middle, uh, between those, those ranges. And so that's going to determine the equity, um, percentage will, will kind of work, you know, in some cases it's, it's a valuation and we're also looking at exit valuations, uh, to determine our in projected investor, uh, rate of return on the, on the backside. Sure. And what is the typical kind of time horizon you guys take with, with these investments? Yeah. So for, for debt, it's, uh, we, we like shorter terms, like one, one to three years is kind of our, our typical debt. So investors are liking that now and are really, you know, interest rates are still really low. So people that are looking for yield are having a hard time finding it. Um, so we're, we're happy to offer some, some nice, um, risk adjusted returns on the, on the debt side, but then uh, on the equity side, uh, anywhere between like two to five, sometimes seven years, we're dealing with biological processes, you know, either growing a herd of animals or growing trees or, um, you know, on, on the indoor ag side is a lot quicker because crop cycles are quick multiple per year, but there's also, uh, we're doing in some cases sort of brown, brown field developments where we're starting with a, you know, starting with a, uh, nothing or starting with a building and putting in, converting it into an use for indoor agriculture, vertical farming. And so that's, you know, there's some development time there that it takes once you make returns, uh, until you can make returns. But once you do make returns, it's, it's almost like a utility. So you high upfront cost, some development time. And then once you're, or once you're doing, you're basically just kicking off, uh, kicking off money in the form of, of crops and, and sales. Sure. Okay. So with, with the Harvesters platform as a whole, I mean, what's kind of the vision over the next like five, 10 years, like so far, it seems like you guys have some really solid traction. Like you're, you're, you're raising a lot of money and investing a lot of projects, but like where, where is this going over the next kind of decade or so? So we're going to continue to grow. Um, today we've done organic growth. We haven't had any major outside investors, mostly, uh, you know, 
founder money, some friends and family uh, to get kicked off. And we've grown and we're a profitable company. So we're going to continue um, to do that. Uh, we're going to continue to scale organically. We're offering some innovative things. We want to expand what we're doing to, to so that more investors are able to um, take advantage of agriculture. So, you know, our, our kind of motto is democratizing investments in agriculture. And, and right now you still need, you know, with a $10,000 minimum, that's still, there's some uh, limitations on who can invest. So we're looking at ways to bring in uh, more investors and to, to scale the company um, with different types of investment vehicles. We still like our niches of, of indoor. So we're going to be doing more of that. You'll see more ag tech companies. You'll see more livestock companies and you'll see more sort of specialty agriculture company. Probably the one thing you won't see on our platform is, is row crop um, farming, which we think is a great, you know, typical farmland investments, which we think are great. We think it's important. It's a huge component of agriculture. It's just not what we do. Sure. No, it's good to, it's good to know what you do and what you don't. Uh, how, how does Harvest Returns make money? I think that's a question that a lot of uh, listeners are going to have. So what is kind of the business model right now? You mentioned that you are profitable and you haven't taken on any outside money, which is amazing, but how do you guys actually uh, generate revenue? Yeah, so a couple different ways. Um, when a sponsor comes to us, they pay us some fees. So um, once we get to a point where we're comfortable with the farmer and they're comfortable with, with us, they will pay us fees to get their offering listed on the platform. Uh, they'll, they'll pay us additional fees as they, they raise the capital where we don't take contingency based fees. Um, it's all based on processing of investors and, and, you know, kind of covering our cost on that. And then we take on the back end, um, we're, we act as asset managers. So we're the ones that are working with the, the farm over the life cycle of the investment to find, you know, to update the investors, uh, both financial updates, operational updates, provide tax documents, K ones every year. And then also to, um, exit that investment. And so we're taking a profit interest in these farms and some of these farms, um, or an asset management interest in the case of, of debt, where we're receiving our, most of our returns on the back end is the deal exits. And we've had a, a couple of exits to date. We expect several more this year and several more over the, the next couple of years. Wow. That's really, that's really exciting. Um, now diving deeper kind of into farmland as an asset class, uh, what's what's something that you think all kind of farmland investors that are kind of just getting into farmland for the first time should be aware of uh, as as kind of novices to the to the niche? Yeah, I mean the first thing is is do understand the risk. Do understand you're dealing with biological processes uh, that that can be out of human control. They can be mitigated, but there's you know certainly certainly an issue. Um, you need to you need to educate yourself. Um, I think that's probably the most important thing is is educating yourself on what I'm investing in, not just the structure of, of the offering, but, you know, learn a little bit about the crop, learn a, bit, a little bit about what, what the farmer's growing, learn a little bit about the team that that's doing the growing. Um, and we, we like to, you know, we, we do feel part of our mission is to educate investors on the wide world of ag investing. Um, you know, most people we're, we're an urban urbanized country for the most part. And most of us don't have a big appreciation for agriculture unless you grew up on a farm or whatever. Um, most of us, uh, the, the exposure we get to agriculture is going to the grocery store and seeing, you know, fruits and vegetables and meats that are produced, not just here in the U S but all over the world. We have a very globalized agriculture system now. 
um, kind of just in time system, which is great until it's not until we get uh, supply chain disruption. So understand what those risks are, understand the ways that, that they're being mitigated and, uh, you know, learn about where your food comes from and how it's produced. Yeah, I think that's great. And I would totally agree that, that a lot of us are so disconnected from where our food actually comes from. We just show up at the grocery store, there it is, and, and we're just kind of good to go. So bouncing off of that, what, what is a common myth or maybe a couple common myths that, that you see a lot of uh, beginner farmland investors coming in with? And, and, and so like, like, let's just kind of dispel some of those right here from the gut go. Yeah, you know, myths are, yeah, I can lose all my money because there's a, a drought or whatever. So even if you're investing in, you know, say conventional farmland, you've got the, you've got the underlying land as your, your asset. And so if you do have a, a bad year where you lose an entire crop, for a freeze or, or, you know, disease or whatever, you're still under, you're still holding the underlying asset, the land and, you know, next year will hopefully get better. Um, so, so that's one, you know, we've heard a little bit about that. We, it, for the most part, I don't know if there's any myths, but it's just a general misunderstanding of what am I investing in and, oh, I can invest in a farm. Oh, I can invest in an, a vertical farm. Yeah, sure. It, you know, it's, but there's, you've got to be aware of, of the risk and, and, uh, you know, the way that, the offerings are structured. Sure. And when it comes to kind of investing in farmland versus investing in a farm business, mm-hmm. what, what should investors kind of be aware of about that distinction? Like what are the important kind of differences between those two things? So they they each have their, their own risk. Um, generally your, your returns from my perspective are going to be higher in the farm business itself. Um, you know, farmland is, is great. There's, there's security there. If you actually have ownership of it and, and you don't always have ownership of it, you sometimes you have, you know, a, a, an interest in it, uh, rather than the, the ownership of the land itself. And when you're, you're investing in it with a pool of investors, there's, there's risk and, and uh, return that that's shared, um, investing in the ag business there, there is, you know, there's a typical of any investment, whether you're investing in a large publicly traded company or, you know, private placements, which is, is what we're doing. Um, there's, there's risk that the company could go under. There's risk that, uh, you know, all the typical agriculture risk is as well, but you're, you know, you're potentially dealing with much higher return profiles than just investing in sort of static farmland. Um, land prices vary, uh, based on the, the, production that's just being realized from owning that land. So you own very fertile soil and commodity prices are high. You're doing great. If, um, commodity prices fall, you're, you're not doing as well. Um, farmland tends to be a longer term investment. So you've got some, uh, illiquidity risk, but there's, um, also what's called an illiquidity illiquidity premium where it's non-correlated uh, to the stock market. And that's, that's probably the benefit of both types of ag investing is you're, you're not really you're, you're not investing in, as long as you're investing in private placements and not like farmland REITs that are publicly traded, you're, you, you're insulated from market swings and market volatility. Sure. Yeah. If people can't press the panic sell button and then there's a lot less of, of that going on. So I'm curious as well, what kind of trends or just like upcoming things on the horizon for um, ag business as a whole kind of, are you keeping an eye on or kind of have you excited right now? So we watch, um, you know, we're, we're obviously very interested in, in what's going on in controlled environment agriculture. There's kind of two segments of that. There's this sort of urban farms or suburban farms on a smaller scale. That's primarily what we're invested in. 
Um, there's also the, the much larger scale greenhouses where there's a lot of development risk there. It takes a lot of capital up front. Um, but once they're up and running, it's there, there's a lot of economies of scale there. So two types of, two types of, uh, controlled environment agriculture. We like them both. Uh, we think they both have a future because they're serving sort of different market niches. The, the vertical farms, uh, that are more urban, suburban are serving, you know, direct to restaurants in some cases, direct to consumer where, the larger scale greenhouses you might find in rural areas are serving, you know, typical kind of distribution um, that that are serving places like Walmart and big, you know, big retail companies like that. So we like we like both of those. Um, ag technology continues to evolve rapidly. There's there's a continued demand for organic. So you're seeing a lot of organic uh, conversions, crop conversions, or new companies set up to to grow organic foods, and then. You know, the, the plant-based protein um, trend is, is definitely a thing that we follow closely where um, I, I, I do think it's kind of reaching a little bit of market peak hysteria where hundreds of millions of dollars have been invested in these companies and they're not all going to survive because there's only so much demand for, for plant-based proteins. Um, people are still eating meat. People are still eating a lot of meat, um, the, at least the ones we talk to. So um, that's not going to go away. And, and there's, I think there's questions of scalability on the plant-based protein that, that haven't necessarily been addressed by that industry, but it, but it's important. And, and we, we watch it and we think, uh, you know, we think there's room for a lot of competition because the consumer consumers, uh, po the population continues to increase. And as population increases, there's a higher demand for food. So demand for food, demand for protein is going to, is going to continue to expand as the population does. And the other thing you'll see in emerging uh, economies is that as people become wealthier, they demand more protein. So we, we eat a heck of a lot more, uh, meat and protein in general in the, in the United States than, than other countries do, but that that's slowly changing as they kind of come, uh, develop. Most definitely. Well, all exciting things on the horizon. Chris, if the listeners want to follow up with you and learn more about Harvest Returns and just kind of dive deeper into what you guys are doing, where's the best place for us to send them? Yeah, harvestreturns.com as uh, is, is well. We're on social media, the, all the usual places, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Instagram. You can you can follow us there and, and we've got a blog and do educational things like this podcast where they can find out more. So uh, yeah, we're happy to... to talk to anybody who wants to reach out to us. Awesome. And I'll be sure to link up all of those in the show notes. Chris, I really appreciate you taking the time. Is there any uh, final thoughts or kind of words of wisdom you want to leave the audience with here today? Yeah, I just say investing in agriculture is a way to connect to the food system and connecting the food system is something that, that we're is important because we're, we're out of touch living in a modern knowledge-based society. We're out of touch with who, who produces our food how it's produced and, and where it's produced. So uh, one way to get, get a little bit closer is to invest in it. Go out and visit a farm too. That's a great, that's another great way. Absolutely. Well, Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks again for your time and uh, we'll catch you later. All right. Thanks, Apple.